Welcome back to Live, Laugh, Lorazepam. We are very excited to welcome a new guest today named Kelly Fowl. Kelly, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so I am, I was born and raised in Massachusetts, um, and I am a licensed therapist or a licensed social worker. Um, and I've been doing the work in the field for about 20 years um, and went to BC for my master's degree and Wheelock College, which is now part of BU for my undergrad. So I've been part of the mental health field for a really long time. And local too. You, you've been around in the area too. Yeah, yeah. Which was a benefit in going to college in Boston because I was able to kind of be work within the cities and the suburbs close to Boston and now um, kind of really doing the work in my own hometown, which is a kind of socioeconomic uh, puzzle. But um, it's been nice to kind of see different parts of the state um, and be able to bring some awareness to it. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. so cool. Um, you actually answered our first question. How long have you been working in the mental health field? Um, so we can skip to number two. Um, what do you wish um, people or clients knew about working with a therapist? Yeah, so this is one of those questions that I think about a lot because I think that so whenever someone comes to me, I, I think I said this to Abby at first is that um, everyone that comes to me, we are never the first thing that they've tried. They're never like, yes, I've been feeling really depressed and I figured I'd go to therapy, right? It's always usually like I've tried eating right, I've tried exercise, I've tried all these B12 shots. And, you know, so I figured you had to be the last stop. Um, and so I figured that everybody that I see, um, when they tell me why they've waited so long, it's shame. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important for people to know that if you're feeling like you don't need therapy or there must be something wrong with you if you do, that pretty much everyone that walks through my door, even the person that is the most kind of mental health aware feels the shame of needing to help themselves. Um, and so I think that that's really important for people to know is that you're not alone in feeling that. Um, you know, and even when I had to get therapy for my own son, because he has ADHD, you know, it was like, I felt that, like, why can't I give him more? So don't not seek therapy for that. I think that if you're wondering if it's time to see someone, it is. Um, and the other thing I think is really important is that our jobs are, as therapists are really, really hard. Um, and I think that it's underestimated how much of ourselves we have to give to our, our clients, um, that we hear some really challenging, dark things that we carry with us and we learn to kind of absorb and, and shut it off at the end of the day and go home to our own families. Um, but it makes us human and we have our own kind of tough days or we have days that are challenging. I've had to cancel on folks for my own personal reasons and they've then fired me from being their therapist because they didn't want a therapist that canceled. And so I think it's just important for clients to know that their therapist is human. Um, and that it's not personal, that our job, you know, you go to a doctor and if your doctor's sick, it's like, you can see this nurse practitioner, like, I don't have another Kelly, you can see, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's, it's, it's important that people know that. And I think that when they don't, it contributes to therapist burnout. So. We've talked about like that before, um, how we have to realize that our therapists are human 
and how do they handle their day afterwards after talking to people all day long and not really being able to share with their loved ones because of HIPAA rules and you hold it in until you're, if you're in therapy, talking to a therapist. Um, (laughs) But yeah, you're human and you, you feel emotions too and you have empathy. So you, you, I don't I, I think I think like we've talked about it where <laughs> we've always been like I mean you're commentably you want to work in the mental health field and everyone always is like as a therapist and you're like no I actually. do not have the strength <laughs> to do that <laughs> at all you you guys are superheroes yeah. and I don't know how you do it I um, wouldn't be able to not take it home personally like I, I would have a really hard time like shutting that off and I think that's a like a skill that is often overlooked when people are thinking about the mental health field and therapists in that industry. How, how do you do that? How, how do you manage sort of like the weight of what you're hearing all day and then being able to sort of tune back into your own life and go home and have dinner with your family or whatever? It's funny. Cause I was, I was talking to someone the other day and I, I was like, I cannot remember for the life of me where I put my keys, where I put my wallet, my, my money's always fallen out of my bag. But like, I can remember intricate details about my clients. It's like my brain just like turns off and on, but I've been doing this a while. Um, It took me a long time to do that. It took me a while to find a niche. I think when I first had kids, I couldn't work with kids because it felt like it was too hard. Um, And, but I think that what has helped me be able to shut it off varies day to day. And sometimes I go home and I have to like tell my husband, you know, I need like 10 minutes or I'll go for a run or, you know, I'll sometimes eat junk food and listen to Prime Weekly and, you know, want to be left alone that way. It was funny. I was at like this, this like virtual seminar for self-care for therapists and you go to all these things and they're the same. It's like, do yoga, take care of yourself, eat right. And so they're like, what do you do for self-care? And everyone is saying like the standard, like drop down menu of exercise. Or, and I'm like, does anyone else drink wine and eat Doritos or is it just me? <laughs> but self-care does not need to be like this, like let's let's go on this long run and think of, look at the trees. It's like, I wanna numb out. <laughs> um, but it is hard and all jokes aside, I think it's it makes me, sometimes it makes me a bad friend um, because I can't listen to people's stuff outside of work. It makes me uh, a bad wife sometimes, I think, because I just don't have anything left at the end of the day. Um, and usually if I can express like what I need from people, like if I tell my husband I need some time or I put headphones in just to shut down, I, I end up bouncing back okay, but if I if someone takes it personal or someone doesn't know me and they're like, what's her issue, you know, it it just it shuts me down completely. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that that, I, I mean, you talked about like clients having shame not coming to see a th- or coming to see a therapist and then when they finally get there, they've got all this shame they sort of have to unpack. But like, I think on, on the other side of that, like it, you're giving so much of yourself all day that at the end of the day you need the like a, t- those two seconds to just like decompress yourself and if someone takes it the wrong way there can be sort of a, I can I can sort of hear it in your voice when you said like I'm a bad wife or a bad friend like it there's like a little shame there too but mm-hmm. it, you're human and I think that's something that 
like we all have to remember is like you're not saying I can't hear like hear your story right now because you're like I hate you or I don't want to hear your story and I just don't care. It's like you, you gotta take care of yourself. Yeah, you gotta protect your own mm-hmm. mental health if like you can't if you don't have the capacity to take in that extra information too. And mm-hmm. for for me, my job, I can just shut off the computer and not have to look in a, at an Excel spreadsheet, but you're talking to people all day and then you go and continue to talk to people because you're human and you have family and friends. Um, and you can't really always shut that off. Um, right. But I do have a question. Do mm-hmm. your friends ever like kind of talk to you as if you're their therapist? <laughs> yes. Um, that's why I don't have many friends. So I have, I have some friends, most truly most of my friends are in the mental health field because you have such a low threshold, I think, for just people's bullshit that you're just like, I want to be with like minded people that like know that this is real. And this is and it's not to minimize anybody else. It's just our jobs are so unique that we I need to be with someone who um, who can connect. My family will often do that a lot. Um, I just got a call today from my mom trying to convince me, you know, to see someone she knows for therapy, you know? So it's like one of those things that people don't understand how unique this job is. Um, when, but when I get my hair done or like I go somewhere and like, what do you do for work? I just tell people like, oh, I'm a greeter at Walmart. Or Because <laughs> like I used to be like, oh, I'm a therapist. And then, you know, my hairdresser would be like, and, and my niece. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. You're like, <laughs> so, or they're like, I just saw on TikTok. I think I might have X, Y, or Z. Oh, my. Boundaries. Yeah. So, <laughs> people don't yeah. understand boundaries. And, you know, speaking of the social media boom of mental health. I think it's, um, it's, there's so many good things that are coming out of more mental health awareness. And there's just as many bad, I think, I think everyone is kind of diagnosing themselves or saying like, they know, they know things better than people. I mean, I went to school for seven years, I have to get 30 CEUs every year. And I have people coming into my office being like, you've never heard of this diagnosis. I'm like, Nope. They're like, well, I saw it on TikTok. I'm like, yeah, exactly. It's well, the new WebMD. It's TikTok. Oh, you're right. Oh. Yeah, some like Gen it's... Z kid in like their sophomore year of college in Arizona is telling me what I have. And I'm like, you know what? Oh my gosh, they're right. Like, I believe it. <laughs> like, yeah. no, listen to a professional. You got to have your boundaries yes, exactly. with TikTok. Yes, exactly. exactly. I, I actually think that ties in really well because I want, I did want to bring up the social media aspect and sort of like, this time of tech that we're living in. And I know that like, um, mental health and therapy in general, like as an industry, just constantly changing and learning. Um, and so I, I wanted your opinion on like, how has your approach to mental health sort of changed over time? And especially with, you know, the access people have to social media and how influential it is. Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think Um, it's important for people to realize that we are not amongst a new mental health crisis. Like this isn't new. What's happening is I think people are having the language. Mm -hmm. They have the, uh, sorry, that's what I say. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. You just hit language. I'm like, that's what I say. Cause I never had the language when I was young. Um, and sorry for interrupting you just to like hit home with me. I didn't have the words. I Mm -hmm. didn't know how to tell people what I was going through. And now I do. And it's like, my, I mean, I am yeah, older too, is, but mind yeah. blown that if I had 
had the language to talk about this earlier, I think it would be very different. Sorry, but continue. No, no, I think that's a great point. Because my, you know, when I was, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade, um, maybe a little bit younger, my brother was just born, I was an only child for 10 years. And the year he was born, I think I went to the school nurse like 30 something times. And um, my family had always joked about it, like, Oh, you loved going to the doctor, you loved going to the school nurse. And I finally said to my family, like, I actually was having really bad anxiety and adjustment issues. <laughs> like, it yeah. wasn't that I was sick. My stomach was hurting me because, or I was going to the nurse because I was having a problem adjusting and everyone instead would make fun of the fact that I was going to the school nurse. Right. So it's like, I didn't have the language to say what was going on. And um, I think giving kids, especially because I work mostly with kids, the language to be able to, say what's going on and what they're feeling and having parents get comfortable with it is really important. Um, I take a very proactive approach to mental health where, you know, these, these disorders are lifelong. It doesn't just go away. It doesn't disappear because you are eating avocado instead of, you know, <laughs> instead of fruit loops in the morning. Um, and talking to people that, you know, having anxiety is really hard and it's really challenging and some days you're going to feel like you have all the tools and some days you're not and you know let's give you some tools to, to buffen up and then you know let's also talk about those days where you feel like you need more um, and letting people know that their journey is their own but it's also normal I love that I also love that you mentioned like giving someone tools so that they can use them when they need them because I think mm -hmm. at least when I talk to some of my own family members, when they like their hesitations with therapy is like, well, it's not going to fix anything. And the biggest thing I talk about in therapy with my own therapist is like, she's constantly telling me like, I'm, I'm never going to like solve the issue for you. Like we're going to talk it out. I'm going to give you the tools you need to do what you need to feel better or to move past or to move through it. And I think that's like a misnomer. A lot of people have about therapy that they're like, well, nothing's wrong, so I don't need to go. But then when I do go, like, what's it going to do? It's not going to fix it. And it's like, you're, you're learning the tools and the language mm -hmm. to be able to identify what's wrong and then be able to, like, go on your own journey. Because you're right. Like, these aren't things that, like, you go to therapy or you take medicine and suddenly it's all better and then you never have to talk about it ever again. <laughs> like that's not how it works. This is like a lifelong membership. Yep. Like, and you are always adding to or taking away tools if they don't work anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and I was also the kid, ooh, sorry, hit my mic stand. I was also the kid mm -hmm. that went to the nurse all the time um, as Same. a way to cope <laughs> with whatever I was feeling. And, um, it was definitely me and the nurse became best friends and yes. my mom would get a call from the nurse and like my mom would then talk to me on the phone and then I'd slowly get the nerve to go back to class. Like I just had physical symptoms from being anxious. Because I didn't know what the word anxious meant either. Like as a kid, my mom always, and she still does to this day because, it, okay, she calls me her delicate flower because if someone has a cold within a mile radius of me, I will catch it. But also as a child, I was constantly in the nurse's office, but it, I think it's like, I look back on it and I realize I was really, I was a really anxious kid and I didn't know. We were like, oh, she's really nervous, but it would manifest in like physical ways, right? Like you'd have an upset stomach or like I'd be scratching my arm and like, because I was upset about something and then I'd get like a rash on my arm and I'd be like, oh my God, I'm dying. I have to go to the nurse. And so, but I think you're so right. Like if I had known what the word anxiety meant as a child or if someone 
also treated me as if I was actually having anxiety and not just having like a physical ailment, maybe it would have been a little different growing up. Yeah. And you also had mentioned, um, one of you had mentioned like um, going, people are always like, wait till the, like they're at rock bottom to go to therapy. And like, they're like, oh, I don't need it now. I'm like, no, you like build your tools. So when you do face challenges, you know how to handle them. Mm. Like you don't have to just reach out because you now are feeling your severe depression or severe anxiety, like go before, like, Mm -hmm. like ask now because then there is a wait list so if you need it you can't get it right away yeah it should never be like an emergency thing because if it's become an emergency that means it's been building for a while yeah right for too long like you know what are your you've been feeling you know sometimes i'll hear things like you've been feeling this way for how long (laughs) and you're like you know you're incredibly resilient to be feeling that way for that long and coming here but still like you can come sooner you know um yeah people definitely they wait in in one of the things too is like we all have pcps for the most part right like we go to our pcp when we're not feeling well or we go to our pcp for a checkup So a lot of the clients that I see, you know, if they're coming to the point where they're like, all right, I want to try some of these tools. I feel like we can take a little break. Um, I'll, I'll say, let's schedule a tune up like for six months. We're going to just check in, make sure things are good so that they are norm. They can normalize the fact that therapy is a lifelong journey. And sometimes you're going to need it more than others. And at different phases of your life too, at different like life events happen and Mm -hmm. You know, like I started having panic attacks out of nowhere, like literally out of nowhere. I can't pinpoint exactly like why I started having those. And that's what got me back into therapy, which is great. But like, I couldn't have seen that coming. Like, <laughs> I wish I could. Mm-hmm. I could put in the six month wait like ahead of time. Well, it took me to 30, <laughs> took me till 30 to realize when my panic attacks started. Yeah. And why they started. Yeah, that's wild. Because um, I had no idea. And then I had a fight one day and realized where my panic attacks came from. I realized that, so when I was like between the ages of nine or eight and 11 um, is when Massachusetts was legalizing gay marriage. And I had internalized this homophobia and I just like, I hated gay people was my thing. Cause I, that's what I saw on TV was all this hate and didn't realize that I was gay. Um, so I was just internalizing this pure panic that I was going to be gay. Um, and I remember my first panic attack. I could not fall asleep and I had to wake my mom up. It was hours of just heart racing. And that's so scary as a child too. But like, I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what it was. And then now 30, I was like, Oh my God, that was my first panic attack. Yeah. Putting the timeline together. And now I'm a very happy gay lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think internalizing things is something that that is a really profound impact that kind of the messages that are around us have on people. I think, you know, I see it in a variety of ways with kids, um, with folks that are, you know, have a certain perception of the way they're supposed to be, whether their family was wealthy or they're, you know, um, I see it a lot with men, men thinking that, you know, they're not supposed to talk about their feelings. They're not supposed to be in therapy. And then of course, women's internalized messages, which we don't have time to talk about. Um, but I think that there's just, we internalize these messages that we get from people, from our parents, from society, and it impacts our mental health. And it's why kindness is so 
it's important, but also what's happening around us in the world right now. And people want to know why the mental health, the state of mental health is the way it is. Look what's happening in the world. Like imagine being your eight year old self, seeing what's happening in this world. And, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. Mm. Um, and having access so. to it, like having access to the information. Cause they're, they start at right. eight usually, or even younger kids have phones and they have access to the, so all, much. yeah, the internet and all, everything's at the tip of their fingers. For me, it was when my parents watched the news. Right. You mm-hmm. hear it. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. wasn't, that wasn't every day, all day. Um, so I can't imagine. Let's, let's all constant. go back to dial up internet. And... <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> um, this is, I don't think this is on the list of questions, but do you, we talked about how there's usually wait lists for therapy. What would your suggestion be for someone to take the first step to get a therapist? So there, there is, there is a wait list for therapists. I think the first thing is, is that time passes anyway. So if you see someone, you know, psychology today is a great database. They have therapy matcher through the NASW. Um, you can see who's a good fit. You can call them. I always recommend calling and emailing and then following up because my emails get lost in the bottomless pit. And then mm-hmm. sometimes people will be like, well, I tried to reach out to you. It's like, I'm getting hundreds of emails a week. I, I'm sorry, you know, um, so stay persistent you can look for, you know, ask friends around, you know, who they've seen or if they know anyone. Doctors offices often know people that don't have wait lists. But don't give up and stay persistent and put yourself on wait lists if it's a provider that you really want. Um, ask them a lot of times I will book people three or four. So if I have a three month wait list, I'll say let's book you for three months so that at least they have an appointment and they know that it's coming. If they find someone beforehand, that's fine. Um, but you really have to be a strong advocate um, and ask the therapist that you're calling, do you know anyone that has openings? Because I, I do. I know people that have openings that people that are calling me wouldn't know, you know. So really advocating for what you're needing. Um, also, though, having said that, if you're on the phone with a therapist or you're doing a video call and they're not a good fit, there are other therapists. Like you don't have to have a shitty therapy experience um, just because there's no therapist. Um, because really our job as therapists is to make you comfortable and to feel like you're in a place that you can be safe and that you want to come back to. And if you're having a shitty experience, you're not going to want, you're going to be like, oh, I went to therapy once. It was horrible. I'm never yeah. doing that again. Um, you have a voice. Don't stay with the shitty therapist. You are preaching to the choir right here because as a kid I hated therapy but it's because I never found a good match no one made me feel safe and comfortable and it wasn't Mm -hmm. until god when did I start therapy again I don't even know college maybe yeah high school college 20s yeah 20s late teens 20s um that I actually found someone who was a good fit like I was using um my psychiatrist for those 20 minutes appoint 20 minute appointments as therapy because I had a good connection with her um well, I, we say it all the time that like finding the right therapist is like dating. And I was, I was literally just talking to a family member, um, this weekend about how, like, I love my therapist and if she's listening, um, love you, you're great. I'm so happy I'm with you. However, like, when we first sort of met, I was unsure. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to mesh. I don't know. But it was because we both are kind of like feeling each other out and it did take a few sessions 
for me to realize like, oh no, actually I do feel comfortable and to also like kind of push myself not to just be resisting. Cause I think my automatic one was to be like, nope, it's not a good fit. And just like, stop it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But in reality, like if I gave it a little time, it was good. But if it wasn't, I also was like prepared to be like, thank you so much. But like, I got to go find someone else because if I'm not Mm going to open up, then I'm, then it's not going to help. We have suggested, I want to know your opinion on this um, and you can answer or not. Um, We have suggested in the past that if you don't have a good fit, but you have to get on another waiting list to stay with them and do have some sort of someone like someone to talk to, because if you are in a crisis mode, at least is one outlet. Um, Yeah. Is is that like what you would suggest or would you suggest they like get out and head to I guess it depends on the scale of suckiness. Um, you know, I think for kids, definitely don't stick with the therapist because kids are so impressionable. And if they're feeling like, I don't like this person, this person doesn't make me feel safe. They're not going to feel, they're not going to be able to differentiate that they have a new, that they're going to someone new, you know? Um, but you know, yeah, but for adults, um, I think, you know, if, if you feel like it's, you're okay this just isn't maybe they're not digging deep enough or i mean i've had therapists for different therapists for different stages of my life um in my own therapy so sometimes it's like when i had kids it was like i want a therapist that has kids i don't want a therapist that is just like oh yeah sounds like it's hard to have kids yeah it's a fucking nightmare right like i don't want (laughs) someone to just sit there and tell me like you know oh that sounds hard you know so um so I think that it just depends on, on how bad the fit is. But if you feel like it's safe and you can tolerate it, then sure. Um, but don't, if it's just getting to the point where it's uncomfortable or you dread going, you know. Yeah. I totally didn't think about it that way. And I now 100% agree. But yeah, because I think <laughs> I think for, for adults, it's more like being able to open up or connect or whatever. But then with kids, like it is a, like a safety and trust issue. That's, and you don't want, like, you think about you as a child, like, you Oh, hated, yeah, it turned me off completely. Yeah, like, you yeah. hated therapy, and, like, I would hate for, like, a, some child in my life to, like, have this negative thought of what therapy is in general, just because of one experience that they were forced to do. The fights I would have mm-hmm. the, to get me to therapy, the, like, the arguments I, I would have, because my parents were like, this is good for you, but I'm like, I don't like this person, and I'm not getting yeah. anything from it, but they didn't know any better. They were like, no, you got to mm-hmm. go. And yeah. like was fights about going. Did the person that you see, did they advertise as a child therapist? Um, I honestly don't know. Um, we ended up, so I was in uh, such a bad spot. And because of wait list, my mom, we went to Children's and in the ER uh, and got on a list that way. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming they were. Um mm. But I, oh, I, nope. You found the right one eventually. Oh, yeah. She's <laughs> aw- I love my therapist. She's awesome. Like Shout out to therapists. Yes. I love my yeah. therapist, too. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting. I ask you that question because there are, I think it's also okay if you're looking for a therapist to ask what their niche is. We all have a niche or a specialty. Mm. And I see kids and people are always saying, like, when they come to my office, like, oh, the last therapist said they worked with kids, but they didn't have any toys. Or like, they didn't have a colorful office. It's like, well, then how is it that they work with kids? Yeah, yeah um, my office definitely you know. was, the first one was not colorful. It was dark. And like, 
was just an office and there was no how inviting yeah (laughs) I was like no 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 I don't feel safe here and I would always go after school so it was and especially in the winter it was dark so I was like oh my gosh yeah I don't like it that so that's such a good point that like yeah because I could yeah because I love the woman I go to now like I love her like she's I think she's a few years older than us so like I feel like sometimes I make references to like things that I experienced as a child, like culturally. And she's like, yup, I was there. Get it. I totally understand. But I could see at like a different point in my life. Like if my husband and I choose to have children, like I could see wanting to talk to someone who is also like wrangling a toddler at home that, cause they would understand why everything is sticky in your house. And like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yes, exactly. It, it's, and, you know, and, and a good, competent therapist will know if you want to move on to somebody for a, a certain reason or won't take it personal that, you know, you're not feeling like it's a good fit. Like, this is our job. And we know, you know, that it's not, it's also our responsibility ethically to help you find someone that is a better fit. So you definitely need to advocate for yourself. And I have to say, this might be like very like generalizing and stereotyping, but I feel like the, younger like therapists like there's been like originally when I was a kid like they were all like older like 60s and which I don't consider old but on the older end of of a therapist and I feel like as the years have gone by ever anyone new entering the force force one of my words I mean they are a force yeah you are the field yeah (laughs) anyone new entering the field you guys (laughs) have a different perspective on it and it has made it easier for me to talk to someone who is not 60 years old who can um, relate to sort of, I mean, Julie and I have both talked about this, that we had like older therapists at one point or oh my another God, I forgot about that, um, fell asleep on us. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> and like they were like, I, I can only speak for my therapist cause I was not in your sessions, but I, and I loved her, but she was very much just like a listen. Like she never really suggested any tools. We never, like, it was helpful for me to just get used to talking to someone, but I, I'm actually like grateful that I had to move on from her. She actually retired because I, I don't, I feel like I got used to talking to someone. So it was helpful. However, like other than just asking me like, how, how's this going? I never really got any like tools to actually deal with anything after that. Yep. And so like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm grateful because once I got to the next therapist, I kind of knew what I wanted. Like I knew what it was missing in the last one, but the other lady, like she was, she was, um, you know, retirement age and she fell asleep. Oh my God. All the time, all the time. <laughs> I would just continue oh my- talking to my lady. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was like oh, I'm glad we can laugh about it now. It was definitely like concerning at the time. It was though. concerning, but also really awkward. I was like, do I st- do I walk out? Do I say like like cough? And be like, oh, excuse me. Like, so I just kept talking. I was like, all right, I guess I'm getting out the stuff I need. Like, she's sitting there. It was she's rough. Calm. I did not politely leave that. I I mean, I did politely. I just kind of ghosted my therapist because I just stopped seeing her and she called me and I sent it right to voicemail like I do with most calls um and she's like I'm just checking to see if you want to do another session and I was like thank god I sent that to voicemail Um, because no I don't want to pay for you to fall asleep (laughs) you just have like a breakup conversation yeah no I just ghosted her it's easier yeah (laughs) so much easier um, should we, yeah, ahead, I wanted it. to, um, sort of pivot a little bit just towards like what supports have you found to take care of like your own mental health and your own mental health journey? Yeah. So I think, so 
we all, none of us come into the mental health field as workers to make money. Um, you know, usually there's our own kind of stuff that has happened in our lives that has driven us to be more empathic and to want to help others or, um, you know, so I think that knowing that about myself that I'm pretty, I'm, I'm an open book, but also really sensitive to my environment, sensitive to kind of people's perceptions. It's been really hard to take care of myself in certain moments. Um, I do have my own therapist, which is amazing. Shout out to her. She's wonderful. Um, and I've also really connected with some other therapists and supervision groups and whatnot, but really feeling it's hard when you're in private practice too, because I don't have those colleagues that are like right next door that I can just right. be like this person. Oh my, you know, it's like I'm by myself. And so I have to kind of make sure that I'm leaving time in between the day and in between appointments. Um, and it's a weird time because I could be as busy as I wanted to be. Like I could literally see 12, 13 people a day. Um, and knowing myself well enough to be like, that's way too much, you know, yeah. um, having your own but, boundaries. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Boundaries is important. Um, and I, and I have my own kind of mental health challenges too. So I have to always make sure that I'm, I'm checking in with myself throughout, throughout the week. Did you want to talk a little bit about your, your history with like misdiagnosis? Yeah. So, um, I specialize in my practice with, in eight with ADHD and kids, um, and with women in particular, um, because I think that no one cares about women's health. No one researches women's health. Um, you, you know, you go to the doctor with like, you know, a severe ulcer and it's anxiety. Right. Um, so <laughs> oh, the amount of times I was told that, is, Oh my God, this one doctor I had to leave her cause everything she would go, we both know you have anxiety. It's the nerves. Oh. And I was like, yeah, but nerve. I'm bleeding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. It's like they don't, and even like when you're pregnant also, it's like these arbitrary rules that I don't even think anyone really, anyone really knows. It's like, so I was pregnant six years apart. So I had my son and then my daughter six years later and all the rules changed. I'm like, so now I can eat tuna fish. Okay. Like it just, <laughs> it's just so, it's just because somebody invents rules for women. But, um, so when I was a kid, um, so one of the reasons I've kind of driven towards that is when I was a kid, I always knew I was bright, um, but felt just kind of like I was going through the motions. Like I don't remember a lot of things or kind of like spacey. I, I had a hard time uh, enjoying my environment. And I would just like do weird things to be more present. And um, like I'd get really hyper or I'd spend a lot of money or I'd eat a lot of food. And like, you know, and what was really happening was I was responding to a dip in my dopamine. But at the time, um, when I went to another old lady, although she didn't fall asleep on me, um, <laughs> she, she prescribed me meds um, that were indicative of bipolar disorder. And I took the meds because I was 16 and did what I was supposed to do. And it didn't help. Um, and my family, you know, they, my family tried, I don't want to say they didn't try, but mental health was still like voodoo. It happened to other yeah. people. Um, and so 
it wasn't until I was 31 years old. Um, so that's 16. So now we're talking 15 years later of like antidepressants. I was on trazodone at one point, like, you know, Same. thinking that I had bipolar disorder, which, you know, of course, like it's, there's nothing bad about having bipolar, but it's not, if it's not your, if it's not your disorder, then it, then you yeah, shouldn't be being treated it's for kind of it. kind of a big diagnosis that, like that holds a lot of, you know, like, I don't want to say what? weight because I, I like it, it. I mean, it does because it comes with its whole yeah. other way to treat it. Mm-hmm. Right. It comes yeah. with like a whole like extra set of like viewpoints of how to treat it and how to handle it and how to approach it. And for that to mm-hmm. be like the wrong diagnosis like that, I feel like that's kind of like a, that's kind of a, a big wrong turn. <laughs> I think especially at 16 yeah. because it also every mental health disorder, I think has there's the stigma about mental health in general, but then I think each one has their own stigma attached in finding out, especially at 16, that you're diagnosed with something and then trying to Come, not yeah. believe in the stigma and everything people say is must be ridiculously hard. And then to be like, oh, we lied. Yeah, 15 years. Like, that's a long time. It's a long time. And I don't even, you know, and I remember the lady didn't tell me that prescribed me the meds. And it was the therapist I was seeing at the time who was like, she thinks you have bipolar, you know? And it's like, Okay, like, what am I supposed to do with this information? Um, so finally, it was like, it was like 15 years later, I had both of my kids, I was working this really stressful job. And I had actually looked at my PCP, who is amazing. Um, she is the first doctor I've ever had that listens to women. Um, but I said, I, I just feel I just feel like I'm floating all the time. Like, I feel like I don't really get things I don't, but I'm I can't start and I don't know if I'm depressed or what's going on. And we ended up really going on a a journey of testing and figuring, and it turns out I have ADHD and I've been on meds. So for six years and they're life changing, they've completely changed my life. But when I look back at school, like how much easier school would have been, why did no one know that like I was this bright student that was, you know, just spacing out all the time or failing tests, right? It was like, I, you know, um, and then also just the emotional dysregulation of ADHD, right? Like being very stubborn, getting very stuck, being unable to kind of understand consequences. Like, you know, um, someone asked me the other day, like, what's your learning style? I'm like, the hard way. Like, that's pretty much it. That's such a good <laughs> like, answer. <laughs> but, you know, so... So I really kind of have tailored my practice, especially to young girls, um, because I think that what I see a lot is that I see the signs of ADHD because I'm trained in these young girls and they, the parents will go to the school and the school will say, I don't see it. They're fine. It's like, well, yeah, because they're not a little boy hanging off of a chandelier or jumping off of the stairs. Yeah, you're thinking that they're ways. fine. Right. Yeah. But, you know, you're not noticing that she's sitting there not responding to what other people are doing or writing the same sentence four times or, you know, so it's, it's an untouched diagnosis that we're still learning about with girls. But um, yeah, so that was kind of, so that's not why I got into mental health. I got into mental health um, because my, so I was an education major in college for my first two years and my sophomore year, the end of my sophomore year, my grandfather died, died of lung cancer. And we were very, very close. 
Um, and there was, I remember they like took us, as you're talking about this dark room, like they took us into this room with this lady that was telling us how he's going to die and, you know, what are we going to do for support? And um, I remember afterwards realizing she was a social worker and being like, that's a really interesting job. <laughs> like, you know, be able to have the skills to tell someone something really hard. Um, and so then I changed majors the next year. So that's the moment I, I kind of remember being like, I think I want to do that. To help other people in like a similar way. That's, that's a wonderful. Yeah. I'm just honestly, I'm sitting here story. like that's yeah. I, I think I, like I have been waiting for, for that moment for myself to be like what I want to do. Um, and it has been the past year that I figured out what I wanted to do. Um, but the fact that you have that moment and we're like, oh, I want to be able to help people through this process mm-hmm. and how to process emotions, I think is amazing. I mean, and also like uh, the process you had to go to to get your diagnoses is, is like that it absolutely sucks. That's just like, let's just say it how it is. Like that's 15 years. That's crazy. But mm-hmm. to then like turn it around and be like, okay, I don't want that to happen to other young girls. And I'd like mm-hmm. to focus on that. I mean, you're uniquely prepared and like basically you have all the tools um, to help someone else and like see the signs of someone else who might be experiencing what you were experiencing. Um, and especially when different diagnoses like look different in different genders and how we don't really, I mean, you're right. Like when I think of ADHD and like young kids, I think of the boy hanging off the chandelier sometimes Mm -hmm. and it manifests so differently in young girls. And I've heard the same for like autism diagnosis as well. Like it's totally different and sometimes can get delayed being diagnosed because of how it manifests in different genders. Yeah. And you know, truly, I think a lot of adults I see that come to me saying that they're very depressed or they're very overwhelmed or they're very anxious. Really, there's been quite a few of them that I said, well, what are you on antidepressant? And they tell me and they say that antidepressant's not working. And I said, let's talk to your prescriber about a stimulant. Maybe there's something else going on here. And the stimulant helps them. It changes their life because you know, with ADHD, if you're not taking care of yourself or manufacturing a world that makes sense, the world can become so overwhelming that it feels like depression. It feels like anxiety, um, but really it's just your inability to regulate. That's wild. You just made me think of, it must be real, can, like, because you can have ADHD and depression and anxiety at the same time. Like, is that mm-hmm incredibly hard to diagnose being like you do have ADHD but then you also have to be you have to treat the other side too so I think that I I read somewhere that people with ADHD or kids especially hear no I think it's like hundreds of times throughout the day I don't know the exact number so when you think of that in, in internalized messages, everything you're, you just sit down straight, no, don't do that, don't touch that, pay attention, why didn't you pass this test, right? And you're internalizing that, who wouldn't be depressed, mm, very true. right? And then also anxious, because I know for me, I'm anxious like about certain interactions I don't remember or certain things I said or certain impulses I gave into in moments where uh, I shouldn't have. And so I think it's, I think that it's very possible that they coexist together, but I also think that there's a lot of implications of ADHD that result in depression and anxiety. Um, But you treat the symptoms no matter what. If somebody's depressed, they need to be treated for that. But um, 
I think that it's it's really important to recognize that these people that have ADHD aren't blissfully unaware. Like I know that I'm a that I'm a space shot a lot of the times, um, but making me feel bad about that is actually not going to help me not be a space shot. Right. <laughs> like, it's just going to make me angry. Um. So for others that might want to go into the fields of therapy, do you have any advice for, you know, something they should know before they enter the field or um, any tips? Yeah. So I think one of the things that stood out to me is that when I was in grad school, they asked, they went around the room and asked people like, what do you think makes a good therapist? And everyone said, Oh, they care about people or they want to help others. And not one person said skills. Um, and so I think that it's great to want to help others. It's great to have a passion and be empathic, but recognizing that this is a job and you do need skills and, and just sitting there yesing people to death because you want to help them is not <laughs> being pro uh, productive. So I think that if you are interested in wanting to be in the mental health field is so broad, but if you want this particular wing of it to know that it requires skills and it requires patience. Um, I often think about like my very first therapy clients and I'm like, I should probably like write them an apology letter or something because I was nowhere near. I mean, I never fell asleep on anyone. There you go. But No apology needed. So, You're already doing better than many others. Um, but it is a journey. It's in, and if you want to get, be a therapist, go get a therapist because it is not our client's responsibility to heal us. Um, so I think all great therapists need a therapist, 100%. That's such good advice. I Wow. Yeah. So I have one, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Everyone needs a therapist. Everyone. I, I liked that you yeah. talked about it being a journey, though, because I, I think about it. I mean, it's a skill just like anything else. And I think... <laughs> I'm a photographer on the side and I think about some of like the first photo shoots I did or first weddings I did. And I literally was thinking about that the other day. I was like, I got to send things. I got to send sorry notes. And be like, I owe you like a new photo shoot because I look back on those and I'm like, Oh, I was so early in my career and I was so optimistic, but like, man, the did I have a lot of learning. There. Yeah. I had a lot of learning to do. <laughs> I know, I know it's, it's tough. And you know, we get ghosted as, as you were saying, right? So Sorry. knowing, <laughs> being able to kind of know what's, what's personal and what's not like, there's a lot that, that goes into it, but I really, you learn a lot about yourself. So I, I really think the number one thing is knowing that you need your own help to be able to compartmentalize and figure it out. Shout out again to my therapist. <laughs> Well, because I mean, it comes full circle to what you said at the beginning, like you're human, you're only one person too. And mm -hmm. you're working with so many clients. And so like, I think like the first step being getting your own therapist is like brilliant. That's not something I've ever heard from anyone else. So I, that's, I think that's so profound. Because <laughs> you're human. Like you said, you are human. And everyone needs someone to talk to. Not just your friend, because your friends and your family should not be your therapist. You yeah. need someone who has an outside perspective and doesn't know everyone in your life and doesn't see you all the time and doesn't have your history already yeah. programmed into mm -hmm. them. There's no biases there because they don't know your life until you discuss your life. It's true. I often say that to people that come in like and they talk a lot about their partners or in their partners making them crazy or their partners making them upset. And 
you know, I'll often, I'll explore that with them, but I'll often have to say to them, like, listen, I don't actually dislike your partner. I don't know them, but like, you're my client. And if you went to your brother and said all these things, your brother would probably want to kill them, right? Like, or never like them again. And so for me, you can share this with me and I can walk down that path. And then next week I'll be happy for you when things are great. Um, it, cause it gets, it can get awkward. Like if, I knew who your partner was. I'd be like, well, he was a jerk that day, but you were kind of crazy too, you know? (laughs) So it's like, so it's kind of just like being able to really have someone who you can just explore these things in a safe way. And there's no consequences or, you know, implications. It's a great, I don't know. I love my job and I love what I do. And I feel uh, honestly, often I feel very privileged that I have people that come back week after week wanting to walk through life in their darkest moments with me I think that that's a real privilege um I, sorry that just I love that yeah that's beautiful and so the floor is sort of yours for our little wrap-up here like how can people find you how like do you have a website do you have social you want to share yeah so my uh website is um be well just the letter b counseling.care and you'll see my vlog, um, some pictures of my office, all sorts of events we have coming up. And then um, I have, and it's the same thing for Instagram, it's B underscore, well, underscore counseling. Um, And then Facebook is the same name. So you'll be able to kind of link through my socials there. Um, Then I also have the Psychology Today profile and all of that, but um, my email um, is k.fowle at bewellcounseling.care. And if anyone has questions or any follow-up items or is just interested in learning more about even becoming a therapist, um, you can reach out to me. And we'll be sure we'll tag all, on any post we have, we'll tag your social. Uh, The description on the episode will have um, your website, Facebook, Instagram, and email. Um, And and, we're just so grateful that you joined us on the pod. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, I was thrilled when we got sort of your message on Instagram. Um, we kind of have little freak out moments. Like anytime something awesome happens for the podcast, we like text each other. We're like, oh my God. <laughs> but we appreciate you like just joining us and being so open and honest. And like, cause we have talked about Wanting, like our therapists yeah. are human and we want to get your mm-hmm. side because you like, yeah, we're, we're not working no. in the industry. So there's like a lot we don't know. So you coming on and giving your perspective on this has been incredibly eye opening. I'm um, thank you guys. You know, I think that I, I thought a lot about like what I was going to say, if there was anything that I didn't want to say, but I'm not actually helping any stigma or any ability for people to know therapists a human if I withhold things. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that that a lot of people can recognize some of the things we talked about as helpful. And I think I, it, anyone that listens will learn from this and um just you being open is, is huge and that's what we talk about like there's sometimes like oh I didn't want to say that I'm like nope this is why we have it is to make people feel less alone and to learn and I'm and gonna to say it normalize the conversations that we are having so that we can move past that shame that we all sort of internalize yeah thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast make sure you follow us on instagram at live laugh lorazepam and slide into our DMs to share your story or provide feedback. Make sure you subscribe. Call or text 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, for free and confidential support to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress.